Blake and Nikki. It's good to have you back. We've missed you, and I hope everyone knows that this is these are rare moments to enjoy with them because they're soon to move, not to Africa quite yet, but I think to Tennessee. Yeah. So um, make sure you uh, enjoy their fellowship and encourage them. And it's great to have Dwayne with us for the last time before he moves. Please, uh, he's going first to get things set up, and then <clears throat> Kimberly and the children, the rest of the children will be coming to follow him. Um, <clears throat> just an encouragement to come to the Lord's table tonight, a loving pastoral encouragement. I uh, was sitting at Target yesterday studying and meditating, and I just pulled out my phone and started typing up some reasons to uh, come to the Lord's table. And there, I'm presenting them real quickly in a kind of ascending order, the least important to the to the more important, and I hope that they will make sense to you and even touch your conscience. First, I would encourage you to be here for the Lord's table so that you're already here for the ice cream fellowship, which immediately follows. <laughs> you feel kind of awkward just to show up for the ice cream. I don't want to meet with the Savior, but I do want to speak to Renee. Um, <clears throat> the second reason would be because you know your pastors really long for you to be there and have urged you to come, and it'd be a an evidence of love and kindness toward us. Thirdly, <clears throat> be here because Christ commands us to observe the Lord's Supper. I think that's worthy of a whole sermon. That's not what I'm preaching on today. When Jesus said, do this, he didn't say, you might want to think about it. It's just an idea. If you like it, good. If you don't, it's an imperative. And I have to say, in all honesty, that to not observe the Lord's Supper is to be guilty of the sin of omission. Fourthly, be here because the Lord Jesus graciously invites us to dine with him in spiritual intimacy tonight. Fourthly, be here because it will strengthen the bonds of brotherly love as we demonstrate our oneness in Christ. And finally, be here because observing the Lord's table in faith becomes a means of grace. It actually causes us to hate our sins more and to fall more deeply in love with Christ. He ordained it to do that. And we, we would do well to take full advantage of it. So it's just an encouragement from, <clears throat> excuse me, from one of your pastors to join us tonight and every time you can. We only do this 12 times a year. Now, I want to ask you to please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, we've just read from the book of Acts uh, concerning Paul's commission and his obedience to that commission. And Jason pointed out to us that you, you can't help but see that Paul was commissioned to, to preach both repentance and faith. And he did use the word inseparable, which uh, for the kids just means they're two things that you can't take apart. You can't separate them. God put them together. But now I want you especially just to focus on maybe the word grief. If I could just point out one word, it's the word grief. We all know, we know what grief is when you're deeply sorrowful and broken hearted and sad and crying and troubled in your soul. I want you to notice that word, please. <clears throat> in uh, chapter 7, starting with verse 8. Paul says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, 
though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. So that's good. I didn't want you to be forever sorry and sad, but I did want you to be sorry and sad. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. So let me just repeat that phrase. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Not all repentance leads to salvation because there can be a superficial, shallow, shallow man-generated grief. Godly grief leads to repentance or produces a repentance that leads to salvation. So uh, in a few minutes, you'll know why I chose that text. So as Pastor Mark prayed, today we begin a new four-part series, a Christmas series entitled Four Gifts Unwrapped. We all know that Christmas is a time for uh, giving and receiving. What a delightful, joyful thing that is for all of us. And we who are Christians really understand that it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This past week, Justin had the, the, the delight of giving out Six smoked, well, they weren't all smoked, were they? Were some, all six smoked turkeys to uh, families in their neighborhood. And, and they loved it. They were overwhelmed with those gifts. Their hearts were softened, and it's just another endearment to the community with a view to getting the gospel to them. But he and I talked. I said, Justin, it really is. He was so happy. It really is more blessed to give than to receive, isn't it? And he said, it really is. So this is a time of, of uh, giving and receiving. But when we receive a gift from God, that's even more blessed than giving. So all four of these gifts that your pastors are going to talk to you about are from God. They've all been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. They all have to do with our salvation. They all go together. They're kind of a package deal. If you get the first one, you automatically get the second and the third and the fourth. And there are many, many other gifts, but we're focusing on gifts that have to do with our salvation. And all of these gifts are for everyone who's listening to me today. And all of them have something new to offer. A new start, a new record, a new power, a new life. And I'm privileged this morning to unwrap the first gift from God and, as it were, hand it to you. God is the giver. I want to say that again. Christ is the purchaser. I'm just the guy that unwraps it and hands it out. It's kind of fun at Christmas. I don't know what your tradition is, but when our children were little... Uh, we would let them hand out the presents. And that's always fun to do that. And I'm privileged this morning to unwrap something. It's fun to unwrap a gift too. But it's, it's fun to, uh, to give a gift. And I'm privileged to unwrap this first gift this morning. And it's the gift of a new start. Don't you love new starts? Don't you like new beginnings? Don't, don't you love sometimes the first day of the month even? Because you break your life down into 
resolves and you say, this month I'm going to do better with regard to such and such. I've got a clean slate before me. And God is a God of fresh starts. God is a God who gives us new beginnings. It's so gracious of him and so encouraging. And I want us to think this morning about where the Christian life begins. Where does our finding forgiveness from God and assurance of heaven begin in our lives experientially? I'm not going back in the mind and plans of God. Those are all gifts too. God's electing grace from the found, before the foundation of the world, setting his love and affection on a people that is so large that none of us could number, determining to save them, sending his son into this world to live and die for them. But I'm having us think more about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and actually starts something new in us. And so I'm going to be talking to you this morning about what I would call a two-for-the-price-of-one gift. Uh, a lot of times there's a lot of phony advertisement about, you know, bonus this and bonus that and 33% more of whatever in the same, uh, for the same price. But there are sometimes two for the price of one. I think there's probably a lot of that going on in the Black Friday sales. And we like a two for the price of one as long as they haven't doubled the price. But this is a two for the price of one gift purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, given to us by God, purchased by the Lord Jesus. And again, it's my privilege just to take a few moments to, to unwrap it. What is the gift? The gift is, the two-for-one gift is, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Or, if you will, conversion. Because being converted, turned from one thing into something else, is, is repentance and faith. And as I unwrap this gift for you, I want to do so by asking and answering only two questions. A very simple outline today. Question number one is, what are repentance and faith? They're so joined that I was tempted to say, what is repentance and faith? But grammatically speaking, these are two things. What are repentance and faith? I'm going to answer that very, very simply. And secondly, where do they come from? Where do they originate? So number one, what are repentance and faith? Well, let me put it so simply, repentance is a godly sorrow that causes us to turn. Repentance causes us to turn. Faith is a godly persuasion that causes us to trust. So we got turning and trusting. Produced by God. The repentance is a godly sorrow that causes us to turn away from our sins and to leave them. And faith is a godly persuasion that he, he is the one that I want and need and he can forgive me. So that's a very, very simple way of putting it. Repentance is a, as we just read, a godly grief. That's why I read that passage 
And I emphasize that we, we don't have to go there again. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. He purposely exhorted them about a number of sins in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit blessed the letter. They became deeply sorrowful for their sins. They were overwhelmed, really, with grief. In fact, so much so that he thought, oh, no, I've deeply, if so deeply wounded them. But then when he saw that their grief and sorrow actually caused them to repent and actually led them to true salvation, he says, I'm not sorry that I made them sorry although I was a little worried about it for a while. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And it causes a turning, a turning from and a turning to. Now, one of the things I want to get through to you today is what I'm going to call the from to. From to. This is what you think about. From to. Not to from, but from to. If you want, you can some answer the question, what did P.T. preach about this morning? He preached about the from to. Sounds crazy. But in repentance and in faith, there is a from and there is a to. And we saw some of that in the text that Jason read for us. I'm going to save you the time. I just want you to listen to these words again. They come from chapter 26. They were toward the end of what he read. Paul's getting his commission. He says, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. There's a from to. And from the power of Satan to God. There's a from to. Two from to's in one verse. And this is what repentance is, at least for starters. It is the grace of God giving us a godly grief and sorrow which enables us to, to do a from turn and a to turn. A from to turn. I was thinking about the Brinks this morning just as an illustration. Yesterday they had that long, arduous trip from Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's hard enough to do that in a car, let alone with a 26-foot U-Haul. And thanks for all you guys that showed up to help them move last night. It's so good to see them. But I was just thinking, if Matthew got pulled over by a state policeman on the way, and he didn't, I don't think. Did you get, did you get pulled over? Okay, good. Did your wife get pulled over? No. Martha's following along behind, crying baby, tough trip. Imagine a policeman stopping, and he's going to ask for your operator's license, and then he's going to say, like, where are, you, where are you coming from? Where are you headed to? And he's going to say, well, I'm coming from Grand Rapids, and I'm headed to Owensboro, Kentucky. That's a from-to. We have a lot of from-tos going on in our lives. And that's good. And that's what repentance is. It is a from-to. And if I could draw this, and I just wish I were teaching in a classroom setting right now, behind me on a whiteboard of some sort, I would draw a, a, a line that goes like this and goes out and does like what we'd call a 180 and comes back this way. Okay, you can kind of see that line, that little circle, and there's an arrow on it pointing this way. And just where the curve comes, we put in 180 degrees. But if we put a dotted line out there, it's where we were headed. We were headed for hell. We're all wrapped up in sin, and we're going along in this wicked life. And the grace of God comes into our lives, and we do a 180. 
You don't want to do a 360 because that gets you right back to where you started. God's saving grace causes people to do 180s. And so when you follow the line round and you see the arrow, the line that was headed for hell is now headed for heaven, and there's a cross there in the life of this person who's going through this turn. It's a from to. That's what faith and repentance are. And you can already see that faith is getting involved in this from to. You're turning from to. For what reason? To be forgiven, to find God, to be delivered. There's a faith involved in repentance. There's a repentance involved in faith. All true faith is penitent. All true repentance is believing. That's a, that's a memorable statement. That's one of the significant things I'm saying this morning. All saving faith is repentant. All saving repentance is believing. And so we experience this, this from two. And no wonder they're joined together than in the Bible. Jason read those passages on purpose so that you could see. Paul preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the repentance is from sin, but who do we go to to say, God, I'm so sorry? We go to God. We go to God the Father especially because he's the moral governor of the world. He's the one that told us what sin is. He's the one who said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. And all sin is either not doing what he tells us to do, like coming to the Lord's table, or doing what we are forbidden to do. That's all sin can possibly be. Omission or commission. But saving repentance is a believing repentance. And so it is repentance toward God, as Paul said in Acts 20, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that verse is worth meditating on, dear people. If you want to do something good this afternoon, just go back to the passage in Acts 20, verse 21, and read what Paul said. He said it to the Ephesian elders, I gave my whole ministry over to this, preaching repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. They're joined together. No wonder Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Now, if you've noticed, those passages actually put the word repentance first. Repent and believe. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, is that critical that we always say it that way? No, because as I've already said, all true repentance is believing. All true faith is penitent. If you really want to think about it theologically, just for a second, for those of you who have an interest in this kind of thing, faith precedes repentance and it follows repentance. So what I mean by that, how can you turn from sins if you don't know their sins? What are sins? Sins by definition are violating the will of God. Who are you in trouble with if you feel you need to turn from sin? God. You already believe something. You believe you're a sinner. You believe there's a God. You believe there's judgment. You believe there's such a thing as morality. So there's a faith built in right on the front end of all repentance. So I understand that. But here's what I'm trying to say. When it comes right down to your actions... Can you really believe upon Jesus Christ without turning from your sins? No. You, you have to say, I hate this sin. I, this, this is fearful. I'm headed for hell. But it's not just hell that I fear. I'm tired of the burden. I'm sick of this trying to find satisfaction in a world that offers no satisfaction, i.e. Ecclesiastes. I'm going to turn from this stuff. It, it repulses me. 
And where are you going to go? I'm going to go to God. And I'm going to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in experience, our experience is that we, we repent and believe upon Jesus. We turn from, from to, from to, from sin to Christ, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, from to. But they're inseparable. It's like a two-sided coin. It's like the, the heat and light of the sun. Are they the same? No. In essence, they are, but they're distinct. Heat is one thing, light is another thing. That could be true, for example, with fruit. What's, you know, what would it be if you peeled an orange and broke it in half and smelled it? It smells citric. It's a nice smell. It's a pleasant smell. Is that the same as taste? If it is, then just smell oranges the rest of your life and don't worry about eating them. Taste is one thing. Smell is another. But they're inseparable. They're in the essence of the orange. And in the essence of converting grace are repentance and faith. They're inseparable. But they're distinct. And so we have to think about them as a two-purchase, two-for-the-price-of-one purchase. So that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Let me just sort of put this together then in my concluding question number one. What, what are repentance and faith? What is this new start? This new start begins with us when by the grace of God we turn from our sins in true godly sorrow we flee to the Lord Jesus Christ and we experience repentance and faith. And that, that I'm going to point out in just a few moments is the gift from God. But I'm wanting to be sure we understand something of the essence of these two things, repentance and faith. What are they? Godly grief causing us to turn. Godly persuasion causing us to trust. I cannot adequately, I cannot adequately express how deep and heart-rooted this sorrow is. It's like being really, truly fed up with it. It's not being fed up with the consequences. It's being fed up with the sin itself. It's not being just fearful of going to hell. It's wanting to get out of the hell of sin. The Puritans defined repentance, this godly sorrow, as a vomiting of the soul. Does anybody here enjoy vomiting? It's a horrible experience. But we all know that we feel better after we vomited. And your soul will never feel better than when by the grace of God, out of godly sorrow, you vomit up the sins that you so love, but now find them to be utterly repulsive. So it is a deep, godly grief that causes you to turn from and to Here's how the writers of the Shorter Catechism put it. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, it's a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin, did you hear that? A true sense of his or her sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. See, this is, this is how... 
in, this is how joined faith and repentance are, that the Puritans defined repentance as something that, that makes you want to turn from your sins out of a persuasion that God will have mercy on me if I turn. God can forgive me through the work of the Lord Jesus. I see the possibility of mercy through Christ and the cross. I'm going to turn from my sins and believe upon him. They put it right in their definition of repentance. It is whereby a sinner out of a true sense of sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. You don't, if you could interview a genuinely repentant sinner on his way to the Savior, you could say, so, so how do you feel about obeying God now and living according to his will as contrary to how you've been... I really do want to. I don't ever want to sin again. Are are you going to sin again? Yes. But I don't want to ever sin again. I want to obey God in every way. Not to earn my righteousness. Christ earned it for me. Because it's good. It's good. That's what I want with all of my heart. You see, they built that into that short definition of repentance. And here's their answer to what is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. Let me be very clear about this, dear people. We don't just turn from sin in some abstract way, come to Jesus. We turn from sin and come to Jesus Understanding and believing with all of our heart that he had to die for our sins or we're going to die for them. That he was satisfying the wrath of God on the cross. That God's judgment was falling down upon our Savior and crushing his soul so that it wouldn't have to fall down on us and crush our soul. God is holy and God is just and he can't just forgive sinners. That's a question I ask young people. It's a question I ask all adults in baptismal interviews. Could God, if he wanted to, just forgive us? And you know the temptation is to say, well, he could if he wanted to because he's God. And every time I say, no, he can't. It's impossible for him to do it. It's as impossible for God to just forgive sinners as it is impossible for God to just tell a lie. God, would you just tell one lie? God would say, I'm sorry, it's impossible. I can't do it. It's not in my essence. I am a God of truth. I must tell the truth. I cannot possibly tell a lie. And I cannot possibly let one sinner into heaven without those sins all being paid for. And either he pays for them by going to hell or he receives the payment that Jesus made in his place by faith. It's as simple as that. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about saving faith. So true repentance is godly sorrow that causes us to turn. And true faith is godly persuasion that he can save me. And he made a perfect sacrifice for my sins. Some of you know that he can. You have it up here. You know the gospel, and you're persuaded probably that it's actually true, but you haven't actually put your trust in Jesus, have you? Those are the three components of faith. I don't want to get too detailed. 
cognizance or understanding, persuasion that it's really true, and trust and reliance. I'm thinking about a chair. I'm not going to do it right now, but if I pulled that chair over here, I would say, I could say to you, what is that? And you would say, that's a chair. You could say to me, what is that's a chair? What does it do? It holds people up. You really believe it holds people up? I know it holds people up. Is it holding you up? No. When does it hold me up? When I go over and sit on it. You think of that as a, as a lifesaver. You're out in the ocean or in a lake and you're drowning and somebody throws it to you and somebody says to you, what is that? And you say, it's a life preserver. It's a lifesaver. I mean, what, what do lifesavers do? They hold people up. You really understand that? Yes, I do. You really believe it will hold you up? Sure, I've seen it hold people far heavier than me. Is it holding you up? No, it doesn't hold you until you climb up on it. And several of you, and particularly you children, You need to come to Jesus today and climb up on him. You need to say, Jesus, I know you died to pay for the sins of those who would trust you. And I really believe that if I did trust you, my sins would be paid for. Now listen. And so, Jesus, I'm coming to you today to climb up on you I'm going to rest on you to be my payment and to be my righteousness boys and girls young people any unconverted adults can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't do that today the value of repentance and faith and their instrumentality are a gift from God to you so very quickly I must uh, go to the second question. And by the way, I just want to say something else about faith before, and repent, repentance of faith before I quit. You know what? These graces that God, uh, we're going to see in a second, gives us. So I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but I know I'm ahead of myself. These graces that he gives us are of a nature that they never go away. And guess what? They actually get better and better and better. What do you do with most of the gifts you get? You enjoy them for a while, and then you have to throw them away, don't you? Because they wear out, and they don't give you the same satisfaction that they once did. These gifts don't go away. They get better and better and better. And your repentance goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And your faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It is truly the gift that keeps on giving. So where does it come from? Let's, let's address that quickly. Well, I have to say, first of all, it doesn't come from ourselves. Can you imagine somebody breaking their own heart? Can you break your own heart? Don't you wish you could? Boy, there are times I wish I could break my own heart because I need it broken. But we can't produce true godly sorrow in ourselves. We can't do that anymore and somebody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know that expression? A lot of boots used to have a strap on the back of it. And I think it's used more for pulling your boots off or pulling them on when you're putting your foot in it. But try to lift yourself up by your bootstraps. Impossible. Impossible to repent with true godly sorrow. Because you don't have no, let me be bad grammar for you. You don't have no godliness in you. You ain't got no godliness. You're void of godliness. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. How is a dead 
sin-loving soul going to turn from sin unless God does something inside of that soul? And that's what the gospel tells us he does. So it doesn't come from us. It comes from outside of us. All human nature can do is turn over a new leaf. Becoming a Christian, in part, is finally giving up on turning over a new leaf. How many times have we all turned over a new leaf, only to end up sooner or later, not only right back where we were, but worse off than we were? That's all human nature can produce. But God can produce a permanent life transformation by giving us repentance and faith. So I'm going to quickly show you that faith and repentance, repentance and faith, are gifts from God. So I want you to go with me to Acts 5. This is going to be really fast. We're going to go on a whirlwind tour. Acts 5, 31. Listen to these words. And if you don't want to turn to them, it's okay. Just jot them down and listen to the words. And when they had prayed, the place where they were... Uh, excuse me, that's I'm in chapter 4. <clears throat> 5, 31. God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel. To give. Chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted Granted repentance that leads to life. Listen to 2 Timothy 2. This gives us advice, particularly as pastors, but it's true for all God's people when we're trying to witness and share the gospel. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That's what we need to be. Don't get into heated arguments with people over theological issues. Don't show that kind of lack of self-control. What will happen if we're that way? God may perhaps grant them repentance. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. And it will be found in no one's soul unless he gives it. What about faith? Faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, you know, are you, the, are you the Messiah and so forth? And he just cuts to the chase and says, listen, let me explain. You're asking the wrong question. Let me talk to you about the, the, the kingdom that you don't understand. There's a spiritual domain ruled over by God. It's a gracious kingdom. It's a kingdom of forgiveness and reconciliation. And Nicodemus, no man can enter that kingdom unless he is first born again. Can you born yourself again? No. Can you regenerate yourself? No. Jesus says it's like this. The, the wind blows wherever it wishes and it goes here and it goes there and, and you can't actually see the, the wind but you can see the effects of the wind. So it is with everyone who is born of God. The new birth precedes faith. The new birth gives birth to faith. The new birth creates faith. 
It's like a light bulb attached to a battery that's dead. And the second you regenerate the battery, the light comes on. It's like Lazarus in a tomb getting, beginning to decompose. And Jesus says with the voice of omnipotence, Lazarus, come forth. Who comes out of the tomb? Jesus? No. Lazarus. How did he come out of the tomb? By a life that was infused into him. By a sovereign, omnipotent God. And if God doesn't put repentance in your soul, and if he doesn't put faith in your soul, you will never turn from God. You will never rightly believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God. How clear is it in Ephesians 2? Quickly turn there. I'll try not to turn you to a lot more passages. I'll just read some of them. But you must see Ephesians 2. Paul is carried away with the glory of God in our salvation experience. And he writes to the Ephesians and asks them to reflect upon their pre-converted state. And he asks us to reflect upon that. He says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, being following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... All, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He's talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he says, you were, all, you were all slaves to those things, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, and this is one of those glorious buts in the Bible, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ. Who made us alive? God made us alive. And then he says, By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God it is the gift of God what is the gift of God well faith is the gift of God but the whole package is the gift of God A salvation by grace through faith is the gift of God. It's all a gift from God. None of us can take credit for our faith. We can only take credit for our unbelief. But if we are people of faith, God gave it to us. And I'm thinking of a similar statement in Philippians 1.29. I will not read there, but maybe you can remember that in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul puts it this way. He said, the God of this world, small g, the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that don't believe, lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But the God who once said, let there be light, has shined in your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Sound like a gift to you? Or sound like the production of human nature. It's a gift. And this is the gift I'm unwrapping for you. It's from God. 
was purchased by Jesus. It's yours. It's your Christmas gift if you haven't ever taken it. And if you have, he just keeps giving it because he sustains repentance and faith in our souls. That's what I was talking about earlier. And that's why if you're really a Christian, you'll keep repenting. You'll keep believing. And your repentance will go deeper and your faith will go deeper. There, yes, there will be lapses in your Christian life. I understand that there are in all of our lives. Yes, we can backslide for a period of time, but only for a period of time. Because he who begins a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if you have the gift of repentance and you have the gift of faith, you cannot continue in sin. One of the sad things about our day is that this two for the price of one gift from God has been separated. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. And repentance has been separated from faith. And gospels are preached, if you can call them gospels, that merely say, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But repentance and faith are both critical. And they're both sustained by God. And they're both gifts from God. So you've seen what they're like. And I think you've seen just briefly where they come from. And I want to conclude by asking this question. Well, maybe a couple of questions. But one would be, are you, as a true believer, thankful for the gift of repentance and faith. When is the last time you thanked God for that two for the price of one gift? We should thank him every day. God, thank you for breaking my heart adequately, adequately to see my need of Christ. It's not as broken as I would like it to be, but thank you for breaking it. One of our hymns says, Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. It's the Spirit's rising beam. Like the sun comes up for us in the east, and the first beam of light dawns upon the horizon and comes to us. So says the hymn writer, The sense that I need a Savior to pay for my sins. My sins are horrible is the rising beam of God's grace in our lives. And we live in oblivion. It's like, oh, yeah, thanks, God, for that. That's right. You did give me some of that one day, didn't you? That, thank you. That's good. No, every day of our lives, God, thank you for giving me repentance. Thank you for giving me faith. Thank you for converting me. Thank you for sustaining those graces. And the second thing I would say to you is cultivate them. Cultivate them. They don't have to stay the same. If he's the giver, go to the giver and ask for more and do the things that he says give you more. One of them is gathering over here once a month and holding in our hands a picture of his blood. That, that was essential to atone for my sins. And drinking it and say, I need this Savior. And eating that bread and communing with him. Don't worry about the brothers for a minute. Jesus will be here tonight. Jesus will be here tonight. Will you be here? Got some other things that are a little more important than that. Please don't say, PT, you're just manipulating by guilt. Please don't say that. Is guilt bad? Really? Then how do you get saved? Is guilt bad in the Christian life? Not if it keeps bringing us back to Jesus. Do we live in guilt? No, we live in joy. 
But that's the beautiful thing about guilt. It just keeps bringing us back to the fountain. And tonight, we have an opportunity to strengthen the graces of repentance and faith. My sins are so wretched that Jesus had to die for, for that. It's my fault that he died. I hate those sins. Ah, but says Jesus, they've been paid for. Rejoice. So don't go away from the table beat down. Go away from the table built up. It's a means of grace. So we should cultivate these these gifts. Gifts that get better and better and better. And the last thing I would say, if any of you say, you know what, PT, I just don't, I don't think I have any of it. I don't think I'm repentant at all. Thank you for being honest. That's great. That's a great place to start. So, but it seems like you said that they're gifts from God and God is sovereign and he doesn't have to give them to everyone. That's true. You got that right. You got that right. So what do I do? Just sit around? Isn't that what you call hyper-Calvinism? Yeah, that's hyper-Calvinism. Is sit around and wait for God to do something. No. You know what you do? You go to him and you ask for the gift. And that's not what the theologians used to call preparationism. That's just common horse sense. If you were sick and I was a doctor and I had the ability to cure your sickness and you heard from many people that I did it for nothing, are you going to just say, well, maybe he'll come to me someday and cure my sickness. If he doesn't, I'm just going to die. No, you're going to go to me. You're going to come to me. And I would say, if you don't think you have an ounce of brokenheartedness about your sinfulness and true faith and trust in Christ, go to the giver and go to the giver. Go to the giver and say, oh, God. P.T. made it clear. These are gifts from you, purchased by Jesus. I beg you, break my heart and help me to see glory in the face of Jesus. I need, God, a from to. And you can give it. That's my counsel to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gift. It's a wonderful gift. It's a it's a two-part gift. And we, we pray that you will cultivate it in the hearts of those of us who have it. And that you will um, help us to do what we should do to cultivate it as well. Lord, be gracious to any here today who are dead in their trespasses and sins, walking on the precipice of hell, who may die before the day is over, impenitent, and unbelieving. Be gracious to them. And yes, even be gracious enough to, to send them after you for the gift. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.